0: Mike McCagnon was hired as Jets general manager in 2015. Despite some initial success, his tenure was unsuccessful, and in many ways the Jets are still trying to recover from his missteps. We're talking Mike McCagnin's legacy on today's episode of the Locked On Jets podcast.
1: You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day
0: welcome this is the locked on jets podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day it's wednesday july 20th 2022 and i'm your host john b from gangreen Thank you so much for making this show your first listen or your first watch every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Big shout out to subscribers to this podcast, and if you'd like to join that group, just hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening or watching, and you'll receive notifications as new episodes are posted. And also, if you're watching on YouTube, please give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps the channel out, and it helps other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. We've been talking Jets history, recent Jets history on this podcast of late. We've been going through various general managers, because to understand how we got to this point in time, we have to look to history to explain how we got here. Today, we are going to talk about Mike McCagnin, the first general manager of the Locked On Jets era. My friend McGregor Wells of Gang Green Nation joins me once again to talk about the legacy of former Jets GM Mike McCagnin. Let's jump into our conversation. We have reached Mike McCagnin, McGregor is joining me once again for another Jets GM review. We are looking at the last five Jets general managers to figure out how we got to this point in Jets history. So now we're past John Idzik. And after Idzik was fired at the end of the 2014 season, the Jets, unlike when they hired Idzik, when they, when they went and got a headhunting firm, they hired two consultants, Charlie Casserly and Ron Wolf both of whom were legendary general manager. Well, uh, Ron Wolf was a legendary general manager. Car- Charlie Casterly's record was more mixed. There were some very good things on Charlie Casterly's resume. Um, and Ron Wolf is a, is a hall of fame general uh, executive. The, I look back on this and I actually found an article that I wrote in 2014 during the season. And I wonder why I did not stick with this assessment. And this was the only the only smart thing in this article was was the thing I'm about to tell you because it was this, Long article about what the Jets should do, candidates they should interview, and all the candidates I listed were terrible. But the one smart thing that I wrote in this article, and I have no idea why I did not stick with this take, was the Jets should like speak with executives who had had success in the past, but they should not hire any of them to run the search because one of the risks that you run is that if you hire if you hire an executive to run the search, they may just push one of their proteges who may not be up to the job. And that's kind of what happened with Mike McKagnon.
1: Yeah, that's right. Charlie Kessler was protege and Jesus. <laughs> Mike McCagan was just a, a disaster in every way, shape, or form. Although he hit the ground running, I got to say this: he, he started out um, sort of a reaction to John John's cheap ways. He went the other direction. He spent like a drunken sailor, um, and uh, he came in and got Revis back on a big contract. Brought Cromarty back. Um, he brought in a bunch of a, a bunch of big names and, and and spent right up to the cap and major commitments and and he actually kind of lucked out he got uh ryan fitzpatrick which was, who was not expected to start that year um and then know uh smith actually got injured when ek and then come and then, well, i can't pronounce his last name <laughs> um he uh he uh, punched you know in the face and you know now now ryan fitzpatrick is the starting quarterback the jets catch lightning in a bottle and the first year turns out pretty good all Though from there, it just all fell apart. But yeah, in the beginning, it looked like, you know, this guy is not, may not be bad because he got them to 10 or 6 the first year. That's not so bad.
0: I'd go further than that. I, mean, I think 95% of us, and I include myself, we loved Mike McCagnin after that first year. In fact, one test of a general manager I like to use is, is the phrase, say what you will about this guy, and then whatever follows tells you what went right. Uh, for example, say what you will about Terry Bradway. He made some good draft picks. Say what you will about Mike Tannenbaum. He built teams that almost made the Super Bowl. Say what you will about John Idzik. Um, uh, maybe the team wasn't wasn't really in worse shape when he left. Uh, that one, I don't know. For Mike McCackney, say what you will about Mike McCackney. That first year was a lot of fun. And it seemed like things were kind of moving in the right direction. And what's interesting about this is the phrase competitive rebuild got thrown around with the Jets a, a lot. And what followed were, was a lot of losing. And people kind of jumped on the idea of a competitive rebuild. I actually did not have a problem with it because and I wrote this at the time um, that really the first two years for McCagnin didn't really matter all that much because it was really about, could he draft talent in year three, year four, year five that would become the base of a team that was going places? So I really didn't have a problem with him spending. I think it's kind of a philosophical thing where if he had done a better job, if he had find players who were, who were more sustainable, they could have joined with the young talent he drafted and maybe turbocharged the Jets rebuild. And you know, it's, I think it's a philosophical thing because Joe Douglas kind of went in the other direction. We'll talk about Joe Douglas in our next episode. Last year with Joe Douglas, what the Jets did was they just played a lot of young guys and felt like they'd, they'd get the experience, but I never had a problem with it. Now, I think a fair criticism of the McCagnin approach is they definitely did target players who were older, Who maybe were more inclined to decline quickly, and that's exactly what happened because the 2016 season was a disaster. Although I look back on this, Ryan Fitzpatrick had what was a record-setting season for the Jets in 2015 at quarterback. Although he had a disaster finale against Buffalo, where they and that was the game that cost them the playoffs. That entire off-season, the Jets, if Fitzpatrick were embroiled in this contract dispute, Fitzpatrick was a free agent, but he really did not have any other suitors. But it took until the eve of training camp for Fitzpatrick to finally get signed to a one-year deal. And I look back, and I was not saying this at the time, to be fair. I look back on what happened, and this is, again, total hindsight, but the Jets really should have resolved that sooner. At some point, you have to say, you know, this is the deal. Take it or leave it. And I think this just kind of cast a cloud over the season. I think in some ways, looking back, it probably divided the locker room if you have followed what happened since. And I think there's an argument to be made that that kind of – that was kind of mishandled by the Jets.
1: Yeah, I think they did a poor job there. Although, actually, I didn't want Fitzpatrick back at all. I, I thought we caught lightning in a bottle, and I thought he was a, a career journeyman, a career backup, and and to expect him to continue, you know, to throw tw- uh, to have a two to one touchdown interception ratio, throw thirty one touchdown passes, that just was not going to happen again, I, in my opinion. I, I think um, they should have moved on right then, um, and they should have, but. You know, it's 2020 hindsight. Um, But yeah, they they handled it poorly and then they basically caved to whatever his contract demands were. And that that, the the 2016 uh, season was a disaster and it continued to be disastrous from there, (laughs) got worse and worse. But I guess they didn't really anticipate uh, Darrell Reeves. I mean, Darrell Reeves fell off a cliff. He he wasn't great in 2015, but he's still good. In 2016, he was atrocious. And there was no one in between. There was no like gradual descent to do, you know, he went from really pretty good to horrible and they didn't expect that. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, Marshall, Brandon Marshall also kind of fell off a cliff at the same time. It was just this one thing after another. It, was, it went wrong in 2016. It was a really bad
0: year. Yeah, but the amazing thing was McKagan, it seemed like escaped a lot of the blame, both in the media and the fan base. And I go back to that first year, that first impression really lasted a long time, and the thing with McC- I've never seen anything like it with McCagnin because there were years and years of just awful personnel moves. The team was as bad as the day they uh, on the day they fired him, as they were on the day he took over. But there was a large contingent of not only the fan base but the media who were adamant the day he got fired that he had the team moving in the right direction. And I think this is something we'll need to unpack a little bit because he got, he escaped so much blame. during now there were people who were very critical. I was very critical. In fact, this was the first general manager of the Lockdown Jets era. So I feel like I've worked through a lot of this stuff. So I may not, except when we, when we talk about Hackenberg, I'll probably I'll probably get get a little fired up. But I feel like I've already worked through a lot of this stuff. So you you may have to carry the. Uh, Venting about the about <laughs> the McCagnan era, but I I, can't get, I still can't get over that. Even today, like you, you see people criticize Joe Douglas relatively early in his tenure. But McCagnan had this large contingent of the fan base and the media who just thought he was really on, had moving things in the right direction.
1: McCagnan's primary talent was his ability to get the press on his side. I think um, they carried his water for a long time. He was good with the press. He was. Somewhat charismatic, he was always congenial, and he knew how to deal in a New York spotlight. Um, I think that was his primary talent as a general manager because he was bad at literally every other aspect of the job, but he was good at that. And Isaac was terrible at that. And there was this contrast between Isaac was, Isaac just give you the feel that this is a freaking disaster. And and McHaggan gave you the feel, I'm in control, even though he wasn't really, <laughs> but he gave you the feeling when you're talking to him, this guy kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, he didn't, but he was good at projecting that image, and I think that was that was his primary talent.
0: It was the reverse of the Rex Ryan-John Idzik dynamic with between Mike McCagnin and Todd Bowles. Bowles was not a guy who liked to play the media game that much, so he got the blame. There were people who said the Jets had a lot of talent in the McCagnin era, and I, I couldn't get over it. What do <laughs> you think, Elijah McGuire is a... I mean, I know the Jets, the Jets actually had a coach who compared him to Latanian Tomlinson at one point, but <laughs> uh, there was no talent Taking your car or truck to the local chain auto parts store to find the parts you need to fix it is kind of like letting Mike McCagnin try and fix your football team. It's just not going to work well. McCagnin going to make bad free agent signings and waste draft picks. And when you go to the local chain auto parts store, you endure pointless or intimidating questioning, and the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, but they're the only brand their warehouse happens to carry you can do better. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You'll save time and money when you you use Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer. You can go check out their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or truck, and write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, Reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. There are a couple of things I could go with with that were A lot of it's already been said, so let's talk about some of the areas where McCagnin really failed. And this was one that just always drove me crazy, is he would give these huge contracts to guys who are backups on the team. The worst one I always thought was Ben Igelana which the early stages of this podcast were... It was a staple of me railing about how the Jets were paying $5 million a year to this guy who was not even their primary backup. But in 2016, Aijelana, they Jets had some injuries on the offensive line. Aijelana played some right time. He, he was splitting time with Brent Quale. So this guy could not even beat out Brent Quale for a job yet they were paying him like $5 million a year. You had Darrell Roberts, a corner who got a $6 million a year contract. Uh, Jonathan Harrison, a center who really wasn't any good. Wesley Johnson, another guy. It amazed me how these guys who were not even good enough to start on units were not good guys who frankly would have probably been limited to camp invites if they hit the open market with other teams got these huge paydays from Mike McCagnin as though they were commodities. The Jets could not afford to lose.
1: Yeah. He was, he was just awful at at evaluating the worth of players. Um, You know, usually you have a, a guy who after he's fired, you either have no talent, but easily you can easily create cap space. We have lots of cap space. oh you have, uh, lots of town and no cap space. one or the other. But McKagan left us with no town and no cap space I mean, because he spent all this money on guys that didn't had, didn't deserve anything close to that. And of course, in addition to the backups he was paying starter money, he was paying starters. Like the most money ever at that present. I mean, it was it was insane. I mean, CJ Mosley is a good player, but he doesn't deserve the 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 biggest inside linebacker contract in history. You know, uh, these kinds of contracts were nuts. And and it wasn't just CJ Mosley, it was on and on and on. It was like just Dere Reeves' contract was a disaster. It was like one after another. He was horrific at evaluating how much to pay a player. He was just like, Yeah, I'll give you whatever you want. <laughs>
0: That leads me to my ne- <laughs> the next thing that was on my list, which is the lack of prioritization. And is a guy who comes to mind for me where McCackney just was awful at prioritizing things. You, you go to that 2019 off season and CJ Mosley, as you said, he was a good player. But at this point, the Jets are, first of all, they have a young quarterback in Sam Darnold. And we know how things played out with Sam Darnold. So, you know, maybe it's a moot point, but Jets had no playmakers at that point. They had an awful offensive line. And even on the defensive side of the ball, they had no edge rushers. They had no corners, and they're going out and paying C.J. Mosley like he's an elite. I mean, C.J. Mosley's contract was pay, was like an elite edge rusher, and you have to understand that in the NFL, positions are not equal, and in today's NFL linebacker might be the least important position. Now, you have guys who are so great that they transcend the position like a Luke Keekly or a Ray Lewis, but... I just don't understand how you prioritize CJ CJ Mosley to that extent. And the the amount of money they gave him, he pretty much had to be Ray Lewis to be great. And I guess there, there are things you could second guess. You, can, you you can't blame Mike McCagnan that CJ Mosley got hurt. And you can't blame him that you know COVID came and CJ Mosley opted out. These were things he could never have foreseen, but you can't blame him because the process on this was really bad. And sometimes bad process leads to bad
1: results. Yeah, and it was, I mean, if I remember correctly, there were four years of essentially uncuttable years for cg who does this for an inside linebacker i mean four years that's insane um you know there was this this joke about uh you know mccagnon always had oh well at least he didn't you know hamstring the the cap because he could get out after two years like that's a great everybody does this with any kind of uh, other superstars this is what you do two years you can get out of it so this is no big feather in the cap but that was the sort of running joke that yeah at least he could get out of it. You Couldn't get out of the Mosley contract for four years. And then there was, of course, LeVeon Bell talking about positional, you know, positional uh, values. He was spending all his money on, on inside of line and running, but you don't do that in the NFL. These are not pri- you know primary positions to spend your money at. And that's where I I don't know. He he didn't understand positional value, he didn't understand value at all. He didn't know how to do the drafting. I mean, he didn't know how to do anything.
0: <laughs> that leads me, Le'Veon Bell leads me to my next thing, which is he was constantly Painting himself into corners where he had to take these incredibly risky, he had to, he had to make these incredibly risky moves. And Le'Veon Bell is a great example because he, the Jets had no playmakers at the time. So Le'Veon Bell, they they were not drafting well. They did not they left them always left themselves short on draft picks under McCagnan. So Le'Veon Bell becomes available, and listen, this is not a. Everybody knew at the time Le'Veon Bell was a really risky player. He had pretty high usage in Pittsburgh. It was coming off a season he completely held out of. It's not like you, you sign Le'Veon Bell and you're saying this guy's a guarantee to be great. Sometimes you make a move that makes sense at the time. I'm not saying Le'Veon Bell did not make sense, but you knew going in, this was a very, very high risk move, but they didn't really have a choice. I'll, I'll give you another example is Ryan Clady back in after the 2015 season. We all knew that the uh, British Ferguson was near the end, first of all, but second of all, he was at a cap number that was way too high. And kind of waited on this. And I'll, you know, I, I could tell you a little story about this. This is how I heard it went down. And this, uh, apparently this is, I, I know about as much as everybody listening about, I've been involved in as many contract negotiations, as people out there. But my understanding is that if you're approaching a player to take a pay cut, it usually happens at the combine because all the agents are there, all the teams are there, uh, executives are there. It's also a week before free agency. So it's a good time to give the player a couple of days to figure out, am I going to take this pay cut? If not, team can cut him. He can hit the open market. McCackney never approached Ferguson's representation of the combine. So Ferguson's people were under the impression, okay, well, they are not going to, and they were expecting it. It was a situation where it was obvious they were going to expect a pay cut. McCackney approaches Ferguson later, not with his agent, but usually you do it with your agent um, at the, uh, during the team's off-season program. And Ferguson ends up retiring. And I, I know that the Ferguson team felt very, it felt like it was a very off putting way to do this. Um, I'm not saying that's the reason he retired. It was not the reason he he made the decision, but he was kind of debating things. It did not help. And he left himself in the spot where they had to trade for, it was hap- Ferguson retired so late that they had to roll the dice on Ryan Clady, who did not work out. Uh, There's just like a. an, he was Just a really, really bad planner. He always painted the he always put himself in these positions where he did not have multiple options, which you want as a general manager. And by the way, the Ryan Clady trade also came back to hurt him because they did not have a fifth round pick that year and they wanted Brandon Shell. So to get Brandon draft Brandon Shell, they had to trade a future four for a current five. So you had to make it so he left himself without a five because of that Clady trade. It was it, there was never any planning with McCadden.
1: No, there wasn't. <laughs> there, there wasn't. I just struggled to find any aspect of his job other than public relations that that Mike McCaffrey was good at. I mean, he, he, his drafts were disastrous. I mean, look at his drafts from 2015 to 2019. Five drafts, and um, there's one starter on the team back from those five drafts. I mean, how can you build a team like this? You know, these are supposed to be the core of today's team, and there's just nothing there. I mean, there's just nothing there. Um, and that's, you know, it's a draft, it's the cap, it's the, it's the trades, it's just one after another things. He just was not just, you know, not okay. He was terrible at all of them. It's just hard to, to when I this concept of fifty of a, a hundred year flood or a hundred year drought. Mike Mcagnon was a hundred year general manager. He was the kind of the guy that was set this organization back like nobody else in the history of the franchise. Um, that's how bad he was.
0: Well, the Jets were frequently at the bottom of the league in Mike McCagnon's tenure, but there is more optimism today. And if you want to lay some money down on the Jets 2022 season, you should know that betonline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. You can all find all of your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every every league, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, golf, and yes, the NFL. BetOnline has NFL futures. If you really like what Joe Douglas did this offseason, if you think the Jets are going to have a great season, you can put money down on them. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information, from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts to more. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts you can't talk about McCagna without talking about Hackenberg because that was like the signature awful pick. And it's amazing because there's a third round pick he, he, he made in his last draft who never played it down with the Jets either. A, a guy who he ran five drafts. He had two day, two picks who never played it down with, with the Jets, but you can talk about all the bad picks. And I, I think part of the problem with McCagna is even when he had a hit, it was like kind of a soft hit. Brandon Shell's a good example of that or Jordan Jenkins, where these were hits, but not all hits are created equal. It's one thing to get a guy who's an impact player, like maybe a Kerry Rhodes in the fourth round, where he's a borderline pro bowler on, in the fourth round. When McCacken had a hit, it was someone like Brandon Shell, where, yeah, he's okay, I guess. I guess I can live with it. But it was never a guy you were excited about. But, you know, Hackenberg, just an off-the-charts bad pick. And People always talk about him passing on Patrick Mahomes to draft Jamal Adams, and you have to – have some degree of nuance when you discuss these things because I know there were some people out there who love Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes. There were a lot of teams that pa- a lot of other teams passed on Patrick Mahomes. There are some very successful franchises that passed on him. San Francisco drafted Solomon Thomas, who's a much worse player than Jamal Adams. So at some on some level, your record matters. If you're if you're constantly whiffing, if you're constantly making bad decisions, then that that counts. But anybody can miss on one pick. You have to look if there's something exceptionally bad. And I go back to Hackenberg. This was a pick the average fan knew was bad because he was so awful in college. And I, I hate to judge a general manager by one player, but I think Hackenberg is, is the defining pick of the McKagan era.
1: Yeah. I think that almost all Jets fans at the time knew this was a terrible pick. I mean, it's, and it's, it's very unusual to have that so many people against usually when you see these draft picks come in, people talk themselves into them if they don't like them in the beginning. But I mean, <laughs> there was so little to sell like Hagenberg is a second round pick. If you want to take a sixth or seventh round fire on the guy because he's got a strong arm, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. But as a second round pick, this <laughs> there's just really nothing, nothing to go on with that. I mean, it's just nobody thought this guy was good. Now, I shouldn't say nobody. There were occasional people out there that thought, but this was an overwhelmingly despised pick. And there's not a lot of picks that go that way. Most of the picks are like, yeah, that's all right. That's not so bad. It couldn't work out really well. Nobody said that about Hacker. Right from the start, most people were like, what are we doing here? This guy's terrible.
0: Uh, what else can you say? And the, the thing that's so frustrating is McCagnan was the director of college scouting with the Texans. So the whole theory behind him and part of it, was because the Jets had two general managers who had business ba- uh, background more on the business side preceding him. This The idea was we got the scout again. We have a real football guy running the operation. We're going we're gonna to dominate the draft. And for a guy who was a college scout, he did, he did not value draft picks because the Jets always found themselves short on picks. But even then, the evaluations were just it, it, tough to understand.
1: Yeah, they were atrocious. And one year after another, after, I mean, he would get one guy out of every draft that was kind of a player. And it maybe if it was a good year you'd get two guys, but you know there were there was Jamal Adams who came for a while anyway, kind of a real star player but and 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 Marcus may that that draft actually wasn't horrific you know at the top of the draft they got two good safeties, but most drafts was one good guy and no great guys was never, never any difference makers. was one you know good player, and that you can't you can't build a team this way
0: and I think we also have to talk about we've alluded to some of the moves that final off season and you have to go back to. The way the Jets were run at that point with Christopher Johnson, I'm going to give you all listening and watching some genius advice. Even if you have a friend or family member who's qualified for a job, it's probably a bad idea, the idea to hire them because you bring in all these complications. But let me tell you, never, ever, ever hire a friend or a family member who's not qualified for a job. And that's what Woody Johnson did when he hired his brother to run the team when he went when he became the ambassador to the UK. And if you go deep enough into the archives, fool that I am, I was asked a mailbag question about this the first year of this podcast, because it we it was before Woody moved to the UK and everybody knew his brother was going to take over. And I drew this parallel to the Yankees in the 1990s, where George Steinbrenner's son-in-law took over and essentially helped the Yankees build the dynasty. Well, the opposite happened with Chris Johnson. And Chris Johnson, his first couple of years got a lot of praise in the press. Another guy who seemed to be good at working the press. I never really understood what he had done at that point, but it was a really incomprehensible off season. The Jets had in 2019 where they let McKagan run the entire off season. And then finally they fired him. And part of the problem with letting McKagan run the off season, and this is what I talked about with John Idzik when the Jets hired him is when the Jets hired Idzik, they kept Rex Ryan aboard, which kind of prevented the, the Jet good candidates from being interested in the GM job. By keeping McCagnin aboard, Jets ended up with a lot of very shaky choices. And they ended up hiring Adam Gase, who's the worst of the list. But I, looked, I went through the list of the people the Jets interviewed in 2019. There really were not many good candidates. There's Mike McCarthy, who nobody, thought, who nobody really likes right now. Matt Rule, who's not having success uh, with Carolina. Cliff Kingsbury. I don't think anybody's uh, loving him in Arizona right now. I mean, that's a, Jim Caldwell may have been the best candidate in retrospect, but they end up with Adam Gase because they keep McKagan around, which makes the job unattractive. And not only that, but they empower McKagan apparently has say over the assistants and it leads to the hiring of Adam Gase, which as we know was not the ideal hire
1: at the time. Yes. Adam Gase was brought in as a sort of offensive guru and, was had the distinction of having the worst ranked Jets offense and the worst ranked offense in the league both times as Jets uh, head coach. I will give this one, just one good thing and only one good thing to say about Adam Gase, and that is he got rid of Mike McKagan. <laughs> but uh, he won the power struggle to get rid of Mike McKagan. So that that's the only good thing I can say about my, Adam Gase. <laughs>
0: a lot of people say that I don't give Gase that credit because. I think the most likely scenario was always there was going to be a, whoever they hired that was going to drive McKagan out because mm. they were going to see they couldn't work with this guy. Now, the thing you may say for Gase is that if Joe Douglas pans out, and a lot of people say this, I, I say, we got to wait to see how Joe Douglas is. You know, It's a little early to call Joe Douglas a success. If Joe Douglas is a success, then Adam Gase did have a role in bringing him in. But I think it's a little early for that. But essentially, the Jets let McKagan run this entire offseason. They spent what was then a record amount of money in free agency, and they only fired him after he ran the draft. So he essentially ran this very consequential offseason. And to me, that was almost that was worse than the, originally in the offseason. It sounded like they thought McCagnin was good, which was bad. But it was even worse because apparently Chris Johnson knew he wasn't any good. And let this And this was a completely dysfunctional offseason for the Jets. We talked about the Mosley signing, Le'Veon Bell signing. There was a lot to go. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we'll never find out about. I'll, I'll give you a, a story here. I've heard that Gase signed a guy without telling anybody. There was just a, it was just, it was completely everything. Anything meant that offseason. I'm not going to tell you which player it was, but it was completely dysfunctional behind the scenes. And by the time McCacken was fired, it was almost too late because by running that entire offseason, the roster was essentially set. Uh, the roster was completely set for 2019, but it was also kind of set for 2020. It was really Joe Douglas's third year where he was able to, begin the overhaul that was needed
1: yeah i mean that's what i, was, I talked a little bit about this before but yeah he Mike McCann left this team with no cap space and no talent that's really kind of difficult to do that's that's quite a thing he left where there was no no cap space not just in the year he left for the next year as well even without any talent on the team how do you do that but that's how bad Cagney wasn't necessarily dysfunctional than the Jets were, and it it takes a while to recover from that situation.
0: But hopefully the Jets will recover, and we will conclude this series in our final episode where we will offer some early impressions on Joe Douglas through his first three seasons with the team. McGregor, it was great chatting with you as always, and maybe we'll have a little bit of positivity, which is sorely needed in this series, in our final episode. Absolutely. Um, That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you enjoy the show, hit that subscribe button, give the show a five-star review wherever you're listening or watching, and please give the show a thumbs up. Helps the channel out, and it helps other Jets fans find this podcast. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back next time to talk more Jets, and our focus will be on Joe Douglas, and we'll be able to actually talk a little optimism as we examine recent Jets general managers. That's ahead here on Locked On Jets in our next episode.